Hi guys, my name is Noah Tetzner, and I host a podcast called The History of Vikings. It has been nearly 1,000 years since the last Vikings built settlements and carried out raids on the Christian kingdoms of Europe, and still they continue to fascinate us. From hit TV shows to comic book characters and superheroes, the Vikings and their gods are still very much a part of our world. Yes, the legendary stories, vibrant myths, and rich history of the Vikings can still be seen today. Join me in rediscovering the lost stories of history's most legendary people on my podcast, The History of Vikings. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would be delighted if you check out my podcast, The History of Vikings. History and Legends. This is Caleb. And this is Andrew. And welcome to our next episode. Uh, this is the third on our bio series for Seneca Cayuga leadership in the late 1700s. And this episode will be on a gentleman known as Handsome Lake. Or, as he was known as when he was born, Shaking Snow. It's a pretty cool name, too. Yeah. So, Shaking Snow was born around 1735 in the Seneca town of Kananawagos. That sounds familiar. It's because it's the same town that Corn Planter was born in. You want to know why? Because they were all related. Because they were brothers, yeah. Anyway, we call it today Avon, New York. His mother was Kahonone. Now, Corn Planter's father was a Dutch man. Handsome Lake's father was definitely a native indigenous person. That means that Handsome Lake, of course, is related to all these other folks like Kayasuta, Governor Blacksnake, Red Jacket, Half Town, a bunch of other people that we can't mention right now. Now, in Haudenosaunee culture, you might be given one name when you're young, and then as you grow up, you might get another name to reflect your character. And an interesting thing about this is this is not specific to Haudenosaunee. In fact, dozens and dozens of world cultures have a very similar tradition where you might be given a temporary name as a child, and then as your character builds, you will be given a name to represent the way you act. And that's exactly what happened to Shaking Snow. When he reached a certain age, he was given the name Ganyodeo. And in English, we translate that as Beautiful Lake or Handsome Lake. Handsome Lake sounds nicer. I wonder if it was Beautiful Lake, but they're like, people are going to think that I'm a girl. How about we call him Handsome Lake? In some of the documents, it actually is written Beautiful Lake. It's a synonym. It means the same thing. Now, we haven't really talked about Handsome Lake too much in our previous episodes, even though he's been around. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, why is that? Well, the historian Henry Morgan wrote in his book that Handsome Lake was actually a sachem for many years. But the guy kind of was dull. I don't want to use... Can I use the word lazy? Idle is what he says. He just really never made any big splashes. He wasn't really involved in leading war parties. He wasn't really known as a 
huge person like other people that were good at oratory, although he was good at oratory like everybody else. So, Andrew, you're saying he was a politician that literally just did what he was told by the people he was representing and (laughs) didn't make any splashes? Wow, he sounds like a great guy. He was present at the Treaty of Canandaigua because, of course, he was a sachem. He was going to be there. And he signed the treaty, also known as the Pickering Treaty. But Handsome Lake also had another issue that plagued a lot of people from his time. I mean, and we mentioned the alcohol thing. It's not like it was only the Iroquois. There were plenty of drunk Dutch people and drunk Pennsylvanians and drunk New Yorkers and drunk hey, Irish people. There were drunkards everywhere in this time. So it's not like that we're just talking about a stereotype. This was a huge issue across the board. The amazing thing was just the amount of alcohol that people consumed back then. I'll give you an example. A sailor would be given like a rum allowance of sometimes three pints a day. And I don't know how much of you drink hard liquor, but if you drank one pint of rum, you would probably be on your butt for the rest of the day. The difference was a lot of the European people had been drinking a long time and worked up some sort of tolerance to it where they could still get drunk and still have some sort of control of their actions. Meanwhile, Native Americans who never had developed a real tolerance for alcohol could literally have one drink and it might be the equivalent of somebody else having five drinks. And a lot of us know people who still are like that today. We make fun of them and say they can't hold their liquor. (laughs) Yes, but you know, I couple friends, couple siblings will have one beer and they'll be on the floor giggling and and it it just happens. And so it just became a much bigger problem for the Native Americans, especially when you had people constantly encouraging it. So throughout this whole time, Handsome Lake has no particular thing that stands out. He was born in the 1730s, so that means just like his brother, he's lived through the French and anymore, he's lived through the American Revolution, and nobody's taken any note of him. But things change at the end of the 18th century, because in the year 1799, Handsome Lake is staying on the track of land that his brother Cornplanter had been given by the state of Pennsylvania on the Allegheny River, and he got sick. And he didn't just get sick, Andrew, he got sick. He thought he was on his deathbed. And he was in his mid-60s at the time, so it would not be uncommon for a mid-60-year-old guy to get really sick and just die. So while he was in this half-coma, terrible flu or whatever it was, he claimed to have had a vision. And in this vision, the Great Spirit visited him and sent three heavenly spiritual beings to stand by his bedside. They came up to him and they told him to get out of bed and they offered him fruit from different berry bushes that they were holding. And after he picked and ate them, he got better, completely healed, restored to whole health, no longer bedridden. But the visions didn't stop there. Handsome Lake said that the Great Spirit stayed with him and started telling him about all the evils and sins that were plaguing his people and the other Red Peoples. And it was now Handsome Lake's job to preach this good news and tell the people to repent and no longer do these things. Now, Andrew, what things did the Great Spirit tell him to inform 
his countrymen that they were doing wrong? Uh, number one, the fire water. And we don't say that to be derogatory. That's literally what they called alcohol, was fire water. And this is the quote that he says from the Great Spirit. I have a message to deliver to you. The servants of the Great Spirit told me that I should yet live upon the earth to become an instructor to my people. Since the creation of man, the Great Spirit has often raised up men to teach his children what they should do to please him, but they have been unfaithful to their trust. I hope I shall profit by their example. Your Creator has seen that you have transgressed against his laws. He has made man pure and good. He did not intend that he should sin. You commit a great sin in taking the fire water. The Great Spirit says that you must abandon this enticing habit. Your ancestors have brought great misery and suffering upon you. They first took the fire water of the white man and entailed upon you its consequences. None of them have gone to heaven. The fire water does not belong to you. It was made for the white man beyond the great waters. For the white man, it is a medicine. But they too have violated the will of their maker. The great spirit says that drunkenness is a great crime, and he forbids you to indulge in this evil habit. His command is to the old and the young. The abandonment of its use will relieve much of your sufferings and greatly increase the comfort and happiness of your children. The great spirit is grieved that so much crime and wickedness should defile the earth. There are many evils which he never intended to exist among his red children. Now, on top of alcohol, Andrew, he talked about some other smaller issues that they were having to, you know, smaller, smaller sins, things like infanticide, abortion, a witchcraft, the obsession with uh, goods, materialism, and basically anything else that would harm the next generation of Seneca. And he warned them that if they did not raise their families then there would be no next generation to take over and their culture would literally perish from the earth. There was actually a certain herb that the women would take to induce uh, miscarriage. And so he called that a witchcraft to cause abortion. And so he was saying, I know we're living in a horrible state right now, but if we keep killing our children, there won't be any Seneca left and we're just making the white people's job easier for them. So those issues really kind of hit home. He said, we need to raise good moral families. And on top of scolding people for the moral issues, he also scolded the other leadership for selling off the lands in these preemptive rights that have happened several years before. Because on top of scolding the people for their poor moral decisions, he also scolds the leadership amongst the Seneca due to the poor land sale deals that they have done for the past several generations. It's become pretty clear that the Canandaigua Purchase and the, the Morris Reserve and all of these other treaties and land purchases have pretty quickly shrunk the domain and the power of the Iroquois nations. And he said, quote, Whoever sells lands offends the Great Spirit and must expect a great punishment after death. And this just goes to show you a lot of people have said this in the past, that the Great Spirit created all men, but he gave this land to us, and he gave the white man their land over there. And we're supposed to look seven generations in the past, and look seven generations in the future, 
And where are we going to be in seven generations if we continue down this path? Some other things he spoke out against were uh, things like lying, being a hypocrite, a ne'er-do-well. This is probably one of my favorite quotes. I posted this on Twitter last week. Quote, Speak evil of no one. If you can say no good of a person, then be silent. Let not your tongues betray you into evil. Let all be mindful of this. For these are the words of our Creator. Let us strive to cultivate friendship with those who surround us. This is pleasing to the Great Spirit. Andrew, just say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say nothing at all. That's exactly what he said. In our age of social media, on Facebook and Twitter and all this other stuff, if we just adhered to this one thing, how much more stress-free would we all be if we just didn't complain about other people and other things? Handsome Lake wasn't all about what you shouldn't do. It wasn't all a bunch of don't do this and don't do that. He also said that we should reinforce good virtues, things that strengthen their society, like being faithful in your marriage, adopting children and taking care of orphans, being caretakers of your elderly parents, and encourage the parents to actually raise their children with good morals. He said that we should give thanks to the Great Spirit daily for every day that we get to see a new sunrise. This message and different revelations that he claims to have become compiled into a whole new moral code and law. And today it's known as the Code of Handsome Lake. In modern times, they would call this the Longhouse Religion, which is one of the first documented indigenously created religions in North America. One of Handsome Lake's huge fans was a guy named Thomas Jefferson. And he actually writes a letter to Handsome Lake dated uh, November 3rd, 1802. And this is what he says. Go on then, brother, in the great reformation you have undertaken. In all your enterprises for the good of your people, you may count with confidence on the aid and protection of the United States, and on the sincerity and zeal with which I am myself animated in the furthering of this humane work. You are our brethren of the same land. We wish you prosperity as brethren should do. Farewell. So Jefferson really saw that Handsome Lake was trying to help his people and... After meeting with him in Washington, D.C., he really encouraged him to keep it up. Another thing that Handsome Lake mentioned in his sayings was that he really liked George Washington, or as he called him, Town Destroyer. Now, that doesn't sound like a very endearing name to refer to somebody that you like. In fact, a lot of people, when they read about Handsome Lake referring to George Washington as Town Destroyer, a lot of early historians and people that weren't too well read, thought that he was referring to the fact that Washington had commanded the Sullivan Expedition to come through Cayuga Territory and Seneca Land burning in 1779. But in reality, this name does not come from there. This name is much older. In fact, this name comes all the way from George Washington's grandfather, which received the Iroquoian name Town Destroyer, and Washington was then bestowed his grandfather's name in the French and Indian War by the Iroquois. So he's just referring to something that happened years ago. This had nothing to do with the campaign of 1779. And who's the one that gave him the name? Gaiasuta. Gaiasuta, who is 
Cornplanter's uncle. So Cornplanter knows exactly who George Washington is. He's heard the stories. That being said, why the heck is Handsome Lake such a huge fan of Washington, the guy that did order all of the villages to be burned? Well, you see, after the American Revolution, the Six Nations are left high and dry. The British sign all the Iroquois lands over to the U.S. in the Treaty of Paris in 1783. But Washington makes it really clear that the Iroquois are not conquered vassals. They're still an independent group of nations, and they need to be treated as such in a fair and open way. He said there's going to be no more war, no more killing, and Handsome Lake really appreciated that Washington had this open dialogue, that he had reformed his thinking. People can change. Washington had been through the war, and he did order the villages burned, but now he says he really wants a fair deal a good shake. And Handsome Lake was really grateful for the olive branch. So in one of these visions, Handsome Lake claims that he saw George Washington. Remember, Washington passes away about the same time that Handsome Lake is having these uh, visions. In his vision, Handsome Lake sees Washington sitting on a porch with his dog just outside the gate of Indian heaven. I imagine he's probably sitting in a rocking chair uh, holding a glass of sweet iced tea, right? That's how I picture it. That's how I picture it. Handsome Lake says that George Washington is there just outside the gates, and he's content. He gives a kind look to everybody that passes by into the gates, but never says a word. And people ask, well, why is he here? Handsome Lake says, because he spared the Haudenosaunee homeland from removal after the war. He was given the honor of being the only white man to make it that close to Indian heaven. So the next time you're on Jeopardy and they ask who's the only white guy to get close to Indian heaven, the answer is George Washington. Although most answers for colonial history are either George Washington or Ben Franklin, I found. Handsome Lake also had a knack for oratory. He wasn't as famous as Red Jacket, but he told parables to get his point across. And one he wrote was really good satire. Caleb, you know what satire is, right? Satire is my favorite type of entertainment, really. I love satire because you can exploit the truth of things using incorrect situations. So that's what this story is. It's satire. We know it's not historically accurate, but it's a a story that encapsulates and shows a moral or a truth that's just below the surface. This parable, it's, it's known as the man in the golden castle, and he tells this story of a young minister in Europe who's looking for God. And as he's looking for God and he's walking the countryside, he comes across a man in a great golden castle. And he says, Who are you, my lord? It is I. The minister falls to the ground. I'm your man. And the man in the gold castle tells the preacher, Load up your boat with gifts to take to the people across the salt sea. And he says, what shall I do? What are some things that I should take as gifts for the people across the salt sea? Perhaps food or seeds or agricultural equipment. And the man in the gold castle says, no, they have no need for those things. Take with you cards and money and instruments and rum, lots and lots of rum. So the young minister loaded all these things on a boat and he sought out a man named Christopher Columbus to sail with him. 
as captain of the ship. They traveled many a nights across the salt sea to the Americas. And after giving these gifts to the Indians they found there, they returned home to the king in the golden castle. And they reported that these gifts were not helpful to the people, but they were in fact harmful. The cards made them gamble away their wealth and waste their time. The money made them dishonest and covetous. The fiddle made them dance and bring about a time of tattling and gossip and jealousy amongst men and women dancing with each other. And the rum turned their minds to foolishness, and they would barter their country away for trinkets. At the end of the story, Handsome Lake explains that God did not send this minister to the Indians. He was tricked by the devil. And he tells the story as a warning to what I take it, people meaning good. And we see this throughout history, people with good intentions doing the devil's work. Handsome Lake was calling out Christian missionaries, even the ones that had good intentions for the harm that had done the Seneca communities at the time. And he finishes the story with this line, quote, Now all this was done, and when afterward he saw the havoc and the misery his work had done, even the devil himself lamented that his evil had been so great. You got the devil apologizing. <laughs> Handsome Lake spent the rest of his life. Now remember, he was 64 when he had these uh, appearances, dreams, and visions. But the rest of his life, he spent traveling around to the different reservations, talking about his new moral code. And while at the Onondaga Nation on August 10th, 1815, he died. He was about 80 years old, and the last 15 or 16 of which had a lasting impact upon his people. Now, when he died, this stuff didn't just disappear because a lot of his relatives and uh, different people from his clan wrote down and compiled it, as we said, in the 1850s. They were able to translate it into English thanks to a young teenage lad who had decided to start learning English and help translate some of these Seneca works. And that guy was Ely Parker. We told you before to remember that name, and I'm reminding you again to remember Ely Parker because he's really, really important. In closing, today the Code of Handsome Lake is still practiced among some people of the Six Nations. Not to say that all of them do, but some. I believe on some of the reservations every year they read the whole thing over a course of days. And even those that don't necessarily follow all the teachings of Handsome Lake, I think we can all see things in his teaching that even if you are not a member of the Longhouse religion, I think we can all see things that we can all agree are true and helpful and uh, are really things we should be striving for in the way we treat one another. So thank you very much for joining us this week. We would like to remind you all to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Iroquois History. And for those of you that are wondering about the Wild Sweet Potato Clan, if you would like to be a member, all you have to do is go on iTunes and leave us a positive review. And in doing so, we would like to send you a special gift, your very own Iroquois History and Legends coffee cup. All you have to do, leave your review and then shoot us an email at longhousepodcast at gmail.com 
with your name, address, and username that you use to leave the said hopefully positive review. We're sending them out about once a month. We've had several people within the last couple weeks say, hey, we still haven't gotten ours. I'm getting ready to send another batch out probably this next week. So if you've been patiently waiting the past few weeks, don't worry, they are on their way. And we would love to see you guys post these mugs when you get them for two reasons. One, it helps spread the awareness of the show. And two, we just like to know that you've got them. We're, uh, I mailed out about 100 of them the past couple months, and uh, about two people sent us a Twitter picture of them you know, drinking coffee from it, and we love that. So if you don't mind when you get it, posting on Facebook, shooting us a quick email, posting something on Twitter just to say you got it, we'd really appreciate that. And folks, please plug us, share us. People are always asking, oh, we'd like to give money. No, we, we say we don't want any money. What we do want is to spread the knowledge about the Six Nations and how awesome they are. So on your message boards, on your social media, when you're talking face-to-face, please tell your friends, tell your acquaintances about us, and we would really appreciate it to get the word out. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye.